Hello, everyone, and welcome to the False Nines. This is the 68th episode of a bi-weekly footballing discussion. I am your host, Zach Pensack, alongside my friend, Adam Goffin. Adam, how are you doing today? Footy, Zach. Frank Sinatra was overrated footy. You don't need to bring pre pre podcast topics into the uh, into the fold here. I don't know. I, I don't know if we can tie in Frank Sinatra to soccer. That's the issue. Is like usually when we go on weird tangents, we're able to somehow tie it back. And I think this might be daring a bit too far. It might be. But you know what? I, I didn't have a good one, so I thought I'd kind of go with topical in terms of what we were just talking about. Maybe we can tie it in somehow to his Italian roots and Jose Mourinho going to Roma, maybe? That's that's a stretch. No, that's a stretch. no. That's, that's weak. That's weak. How about this? How about this? Frank Sinatra, Marilyn Monroe, Marilyn Monroe, John F. Kennedy, John F. Kennedy... Give me a second here. Cuban Missile Crisis. Cuban Missile Crisis. Russian Communism. Russian Communism. Russia. Russia. Europe. We will be previewing heroes in this podcast today. Wow, that was, that, that, that was inspired. Well done, sir. Nah, thank you. That's, that's why I get paid the big bucks to do this podcast. Um, but yeah, good, good pot ahead today. We have a lot of... A lot of shit to talk about, Adam. Two matches left in the Premier League. Uh, finally, it seems like for the first time since like August, everybody on the same number of games. Um, and besides that, cups galore. FA Cup is done. Europa League and Champions League uh, finally getting to their penultimate or have passed their penultimate stages, ready for the finals. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, I got it chock full, chock full today, Adam, chock full. Yep, and to begin, I'm going to start spreading the news with a little bit of uh, EPL trivia here. You ready, Zach? Okay, okay. All right, here we go. It's a topical one for you. Hopefully you, uh, you've been reading up about this over the past weekend. Allison, as you know, scored an injury mm-hmm. time winner from open play for Liverpool this weekend to become only the second goalkeeper to do so since the Premier League began in the mid-90s. Who was the first all right. Okay. This better be not some guy who played like six games. You're like, how do you not know John <laughs> McIntyre of Wimbledon in 97? <laughs> he did it in the Premier League, so he's at least at least got that going for him. And it was not Mark Schwartzer. I'll give you that one because we already had a Mark Schwartzer go. answer that's... so far this season. Okay. We can roll one out. That's a, that's a good question. So the only other keeper to score a goal from open play in the Premier League. Correct. It's been done by many, many players and um, acro- across like lots of different leagues. Rene Higita has scored one. Um, wait, been- wait, 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 wait. Sorry, excuse me. Wait, wait, wait. Give me, give me the exact wording of the question. Is it injury time specific or no? Like, what is, is the question? It is, it is not. There's only two keepers that have scored from open play in the Premier League since it began. Two goals have been oh. scored. Who was? Oh, the- I know who it is. I, I know who it is. <laughs> no, not yet, not yet. Look, if I listen, okay. I, I do know. I do know the answer to this question. Um, finally, ah, I'm back to to me nailing it right off the the bat. Okay, great. So, uh, a question for you listeners to chew on if you're not as as insightful as I am and don't know the answer right off the bat. Um, like I mentioned, we're gonna run through the weekend's fixtures from the Premier League. Uh, we will also. We'll then, excuse me, go into the, the different cups that are currently taking place or 
I've concluded. So before we jump in there, anything else, Adam? Do you want to plug anything? No, don't want to plug anything at all. I want to get right into it, Zachary. Okay, let's let's see if we can keep this one under an hour. What is the goal here? Hour 15? Uh, I don't know. We'll never keep it under an hour. We never do. There's too much to talk no, about. We, that is, to, to all listeners, that's something Adam and I talk about before every single podcast is if we can keep it under an hour. And there have been a few that we probably should have kept under an hour. Like a few that we really did not talk about a lot and somehow hit like 107. Um, all right, but yeah, let's... Let's do it. We're, we'll, we'll be we'll be both informative and uh, efficient with our words. We will try our best, and we are a biweekly podcast, so technically you're only getting 30 minutes of goodness a week if you average like it out. Boom. Yep. Boom. Okay. Uh, so starting with the Premier League, the first match of the weekend, our beloved Newcastle United facing off against the champions elect Manchester City. One of those matches, uh, and this is one of the most overused phrases I think in sports specifically football, um, with no playoffs, a game where neither team had technically anything to play for. Uh, yep. Manchester City have wrapped up the title. Newcastle have wrapped up Survival, which is a championship to us. Um, but what a game it was. I don't think anybody in the world would have expected Newcastle to blow two leads and lose to Manchester City, a seven-goal thriller for the three citizens. Yeah, what would you take from this one, Adam? It was it was quite the game. It was uh, a really fun one to watch. You could tell right off the bat that our Saul was it was it was kind of like a Rafa Benitez team, only not as good from a defensive standpoint, wanting to play on the attack. And Rafa never had like offensive players like these at his disposal in terms of the pace that he had on the break. Uh, Pep really lauded the players for for Newcastle up top, including. Obviously, Alan St. Maximin. We had Miguel Almiron. Joe Willock ran himself into the ground. It was just a fantastic game. And a big shout out to Joe Linton as well. Probably one of the better games I've seen him play um, in a tune shirt. And didn't he bury that penalty to make it 2-2 right before halftime, Zach? I was a little nervous, I'll be honest, before he stepped up for that one. Yeah, side netting on that one, which is, if you if you can put it side netting, it'll never be stopped. So uh, a beautiful penalty for Joe Linton. Seemed seemed as though, you know, one of the biggest gripes that Newcastle fans have, I think, is uh, how VAR and, and just penalties in general, I think, seem to somehow go against us more than they go for us. And both the penalties in this game going to Newcastle, and, and rightly so, um, the first of which drawn. But who drew the penalty uh, for the the first one was that for was the that first X-Men? first penalty it was actually no it was Jolinton he won the penalty so the ball the ball got he, his trailing leg got clipped by Ake for the um for the that's second. right and and the second one right after halftime was uh, Joe Willick j- just kind of catching the ball right at the right time and catching I, I believe it was um. Was it uh, Kyle Walker? He mm-hmm. caught him uh, kind of on the wrong foot and was tripped up there. Uh, penalty put away by Joe Willick. Well, penalty not put away by Joe Willick. Penalty saved uh, by Joe Willick getting the rebound there. Um, so three or uh, three two at that point. Newcastle looking beautiful, uh, and then everything was gone within what three minutes? Was it three minutes that <laughs> it took for Manchester City to get two goals and win that game? It was certainly pretty rapid fire there, but the the man of the moment, you if you will, was Ferran Torres. Hat trick for oh. him, first hat trick in the Premier League this season for Manchester City. Um, first time that Manchester City have conceded three goals in the Premier League since I think they said September. So September, um, yeah, yeah, inc- incredible statistics in this game and just a really open game and. You know, um, City had something to play for here. You know, they'd already wrapped up the title, but essentially they were trying to break the record for most consecutive um, away victories. 
they already tied it with 11 and they they certainly did extend it to 12 games now going into the final two games of the season so just so much great stuff here on show it's one of those games where you lost four three but like kind of enjoyed it it wasn't like a, it wasn't super disappointing oh, yeah. to lose that game it's not like going and losing three nil and not having a go like we, we truly gave it our all and I, I truly believe that if the player, if the fans had been in the stadium for that game, the players would have been clapped off, applauded off. Um, and see, Bruce might have even got a round of applause from some of his skeptics too. It, it could have happened. I, I will kind of reiterate that shout out to Ferran Torres. Um, his first goal, or rather his second goal, the, um, the one off the free kick, I, like a little scorpion flick is I think the best way of describing it. That that could well be goal of the season. That was one of the nicest goals I've seen in a long time. And it's one of those that obviously it takes quite a bit of, of luck to catch it exactly how he did, but you knew that that's exactly what he had in mind. And I can't, can't take it away from the lad. Um, really all three of his finishes quite nice. The other two kind of more poacher instinctual finishes, but that one in particular was just a goal you're willing to lose a game to. Yeah, absolutely. It was a cracking finish. You bring up a good point, right? Poaching, finishing, instincts. Manchester City, notorious for kind of being a team that doesn't have an out-and-out -out striker these days. Do, do you think that Ferran Torres could potentially be that man? He hasn't been historically, but he's he's clearly a very talented player. Starts for Spain every game. This is a top-class international player. Do you think that he could maybe graduate and, and make the start up top for Manchester City moving forward? Definitely. I mean, I think it reiterates the point that if City continues to be managed by Pep Guardiola and continues to hold on to at least most of the key players they have now, you, you could certainly say that they don't even need a number nine. That's something they've proved this season is playing largely without a, a out and out striker. And Gabriel Jesus played in this match, who is their number nine. And yet, you know, he has never really kind of met the expectations that they set for him. And it doesn't really matter. They're getting goals from every which way on the field. So again, it, it's largely the system that he's playing under, but if everything stays relatively the same for City next season, I don't see any reason that they couldn't employ Torres up top and, and continue to be scoring at will. Yeah, there have been a number of times where they've actually had KDB up front for them, um, which has been yeah. really interesting to see him playing as the kind of central striker. But, I mean, that guy could play anywhere and do a good job. He's, he's an outstanding footballer. Yeah, but again, a, a fantastic match. And kind of that breath of fresh air match that I think a lot of Newcastle fans needed, even though, you know, we we credit to Steve Bruce and, and Newcastle as a whole. We've been playing quite well recently. He won the Manager of the Month Award for the month of April. But I think this match was just... The yeah yeah um, this match was almost like probably one of the most enjoyable matches any of us have seen this summer or this season even though we didn't win and got nothing from the match just seeing the team go out there have a go and um, I, I think it was a nice wrap up to a season that had a lot to forget and probably more to forget than it did to have remember yeah two two memorable games in a row I'd say you know going to Leicester and taking a 4-0 lead at Leicester that previous week um and, and coming out 4-2 victors in in that game you know really entertaining football seven goals in two games from Newcastle in the Premier League against Leicester and Manchester City who would have thought that would have been possible earlier on this season when we were struggling to score goals so credit where it's due um right now he's he's got him playing well he's got the vast majority of his players healthy Wilson and LaSalle's excluded, um, but but a good performance all around. Um, kind of sad to see Joe Willock um, leave the club here in a couple games. Um, I think that'll be a big loss for us. Rumors about him potentially coming back, but I just don't think we can 
if, if he does, it'll probably be very similar to what Kennedy did, right? Where Kennedy played the latter half of the season and then came on a season long loan deal. But I, I just don't see Arsenal letting him go, to be honest. He's been too impressive these these past few months. Yeah, it's like with every goal he scores, it increases the the potential price more and more. It's one of those things where you have to – I found myself when he was stepping up for the penalty thinking in two minds of, wow, it would be great to see him put up five goals in five games, but what does that do to his summer market value? And so in a way, it's like, do, do you want him to bear the penalty in the long scheme of things? Maybe not, although I don't think one missed penalty would have that dramatic effect on a transfer value, especially – a player that young and promising, but it is weird. That is a weird element of, of soccer where players go on loan players, you know, will play well for your team, but then potentially price themselves out of your team. And that's, that's possibly what we're seeing with Joe Willick. I think it would, it would take a bid North of 30 million pounds to, to get Arsenal to you know, negotiate. And I, I don't think anybody who listens to this podcast has any trust that that is something that will come out of Mike Ashley's pocket. So yeah. we, we yeah. will see. Not going to rule it out, but but not not hedging my bets on it. Yep. Last question for you before we wrap on this game. Has there been a better loan signing in the Premier League this season than Joe Willock? Oh, in the Premier I thought you were going to ask for Newcastle general. Um. I don't know. I honestly don't know too many loan signings off the top of my head because Cavani, I was going to say, but he was signed to a permanent deal before mm-hmm. this year um, and just signed an extension, actually. But loan sign- I, I, I honestly can't tell you too many loan signings who are currently in the Premier League. Like Ross Barkley for Villa, um, Josh Maja for Fulham, um, a couple of players who've, who've made loan signings. Ethan Ampadu um, has had a great season at Sheffield United. For them in defensive midfield, yeah, right? I, so there's there's been some good signings in there, but I think Joe Willock would probably top all of those, right? Definitely. I don't think you can consider either two players who got relegated to be in that conversation. So maybe Barkley, but yeah, I think what Willock has done to turn this team around and finally getting a starting role. Um, again, one of the many puzzling things that Steve Bruce has done this year is keeping Willock out of the starting 11 for as long as he did. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, he's taken advantage of his opportunity. Another one there, Martin Odegaard. Um, who's who's been who's been pretty good for Arsenal? Is he on loan? Yeah. yeah, he's on loan from Real Madrid. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, he has been quite good. All right, yeah, maybe one of those two. That's a yep. good question. All right, well, on to our next game this weekend. This was the early game on Saturday. Um, Burnley got spanked at home by Leeds in a four 0 drubbing. Rodrigo came on, scored two late goals. Not a lot to say about this one, Zach. Leeds really cementing themselves in the top half of the table should probably finish bottom of the top half, if you will. And then Burnley obviously already safe. Try to see if they can sneak a few more points on the board. This was not a great showing from them though. No, I, this was kind of the antithesis to the Newcastle match where neither team had anything to play for, but both of them went for it. Whereas this one, neither team had anything to play for and Burnley was, was fine, almost fine conceding for it. Didn't really, it didn't seem like they were putting up too much of a fight. I, I will say the keeper for Leeds, I can't remember the name of him, but he had a he had a quite good game. He had a number of uh, leg saves, I remember, early in the match that um, you know kept them in the lead and ultimately made the gap a bit too far for Burnley to overcome. But yeah, it was a, a great game by Rodrigo coming off the bench and getting a brace. Jack Harrison, the quasi-English-American, 
um, getting a goal himself, a bit of a hockey goal, getting that nice deflection to send the ball in. Uh, I tell you, I watched Jack Harrison play when he was a freshman in college. Hmm. No, who tell you that? At Wake Forest, where my brother went, which was the number one school in the nation. He played there for one year. He set every single college or uh, every single ACC soccer record, and then he went to NYCFC. And now he is at Leeds. There you go. Good player, too. Yeah, great player. Oh, Melier was the keeper you were looking for as well. There you go. I was not going to remember that, so I'm glad you did. Uh, but, yeah, a kind of a, a game that was an end-of-the-season match. Reminded me last year of Newcastle's win over – was it Southampton? Who did we beat 4-0 towards the end of last season? Hmm. Was it? I admit, maybe it wasn't 4-0. We put up four goals against somebody in like after the, the quarantine break. I'm trying to remember who that was. But it reminded me of that match where it was just like the lads went out there and just went after it. And uh, clearly Leeds were the team that wanted the points. Burnley was the team that didn't really care too much. Agreed. Agreed. Another game that really wasn't a lot to play for in was Southampton against Fulham. Southampton running out 3-1 victors in this one. Fulham obviously had just gotten relegated, feeling a bit sorry for themselves, didn't look like they were really there to play, which is interesting because obviously uh, Scotty Parker is going to want, he, he's going to be worried about his job. I don't think he necessarily will lose it, but you know he's taking them, taking them down, brought them back up, taking them down again. Um, so you know I feel like they're they're definitely trying to play for their positions in that team right now. There's a lot of lone players on on loan at Fulham as well. So an interesting one, this. I kind of thought it was a bit of an abject performance from them and expected maybe a little bit more carefree football from them. Yeah, Fulham, I remember something we talked about early in the season was how many transfers they made in the summer between getting promoted and, and coming into the Premier League and how that sometimes can be reason for concern of – you know, a lack of cohesion. Now, there were certainly times in the season that Fulham looked like they were going to crawl out of the bottom three, and they they went on that nice run of games where they beat Liverpool. And uh, the, a few games before, I think they had like three unbeaten, including that match. But yeah, it just comes down to that fact where it looks like the, the players are kind of done with the campaign almost. Like remember at the end of the 2015-2016 season when Newcastle got relegated, we had that glorious send-off against Tottenham on the final day. And although, you know, we well knew that certain players were leaving, Musa Sissoko, uh, Jeannie Wijnaldum was the biggest one who went on to greater, bigger and better things at Liverpool. But there was still that kind of, that kind of motivation to put something out there. And perhaps it was a lack of fans in the stadium, but Fulham, like you said, they, they've rolled over and died as, as much as you'd ever see. Farewell, Fulham. we Hardly knew ye. Um, on the Southampton front, uh, I just want to highlight Che Adams again. He's gearing up for his big money signing for Manchester City this offseason. Um, and by the way, did you know that Che Adams has now uh, committed his international allegiance to one of the home nations? Did you know this? I didn't know that. No. What was he? Was he eligible for England and Scotland? He, yes, he was. He's born in Leicester, but he is now officially okay. committed internationally at 24 years old to the Scots. And he's actually started played three games for them and has scored a goal already for Scotland. That's a very smart move. I mean, there's no, there's no shot in the world that he gets into that England side anytime soon. So I, I mean, after I he makes his big reason. money move to Manchester City this off season, there's absolutely a chance of him getting into that. Right. Why, him and, him why, why go after, 
Why, yeah, why go after next superstar potential greatest striker who's ever lived, Erling Holland, when you could get Che Adams on the cheap? <laughs> because his name is Che, and that's a pretty cool name, like Che Guevara, right? It's, it's pretty awesome. That is true. I would say Erling is kind of a cool name, but I agree. Che Che does have that flair uh, that you'd you'd expect, where you don't know what you're getting out of the the Norwegian boy living in Germany. Most likely to go to Manchester City this offseason, Alfinger, Alfinger Holland, Erling Holland, Alfinger Holland. Alfinger Holland. <laughs> he has gone to Manchester City <laughs> already. Erling Holland, Harry Kane, Harry Kane, Shea Adams, Shea Adams, Lionel Messi. Well, Messi is the stupid one because they they're about to sign they're about to sign Sergio Aguero, so there's no there's no shot that Lionel Messi leaves Barcelona now that him and his you know childhood best friends are going to be teaming up. But um, yeah, I I was wondering when we were going to have the Harry Kane conversation. I guess you're dropping it in the middle of Southampton, full no, no, of no, all no. places. We'll, we'll hold on to that. Like we're we're, we're almost there. So. Uh, I think it's Holland of of him or Kane because I'm not gonna actually I'm not actually gonna consider Jay Adams in that <laughs> conversation. All right, he can he can be probably one of my underappreciated performers of the season when we do our awards in a couple weeks here. Correct. Yes, I like that. Um, all right, another match that will be easy to forget: Brighton won, West Ham won. Uh, I really was hoping that West Ham was gonna hold on. That would like we've talked about this and how just like. Besides Leicester, the the Premier League and, and world football is is pretty much like you you can you can pick from a hat of six teams and almost every single time get at least three teams that'll finish in the top four. And West Ham was looking so good and have just kind of have they ran out of steam, Adam? What like what is it attributed to their now their late season collapse? I would say if they don't even get Europa League. I know. Yeah, it's it's been bad. It's four points from fifteen now for them. Um, so a win and a draw from five games is just not good enough to to really push them on into the the Champions League spots there. So they sit in seventh place right now, level on points with Spurs, um, who are just ahead of them with a better goal difference in sixth. But they're most notably four points back with two games to play of Liverpool, who are in fifth in that Europa League spot, and then Chelsea, of course, um, are a point ahead of Liverpool. So. I don't know, Zach. I don't know what's happened to, to West Ham. I just think maybe they were overperforming and they've regressed to the mean, very similar to how Everton has this season, very similar to how Villa has this season. Um, they, yeah. they just kind of went through their purple patch a little bit too early in terms of the end of the season. Like they couldn't quite sustain it through the end. There, there probably are those advanced statistics that, that answer our question in some capacity, right? Like if West Ham is one of those teams that, this season at least they they did go on a number of runs and and they never they never I, like they never struck me as a free scoring team by any means i think west ham's most goals in the game this season were three which is is modest newcastle has done that now twice in a row um and were anything but an attacking threat usually and and so i i wonder if like, this is an open question i don't have an answer to this but i wonder if there are those more advanced metrics on touches in the final third possession in certain areas, you know, like sprints challenges. Like, I wonder if you could really dig into why they have fallen off because they've played a pretty, they've played kind of the same style of game all season and it's worked for them. But like you said, it, it just seems like the luck is kind of running out. Well, not luck that's underplaying it and being a little critical on them, but it, it does seem like that, uh, that momentum has, has kind of carried off. Yeah, I agree. I think it, it's hard to pinpoint exactly what's gone wrong, but it's 
I think I think what's been evident to me is the games in which they are playing teams kind of lower down the league that they would typically be playing against to avoid relegation battles. Those have been the ones where they're slipping up. This one-one at Brighton, the loss to Newcastle, right? They've they've put up a better performance against some of the top half teams this season and really given good accounts of themselves there. But in the games that they but let's be honest, they should be winning. That's where they've been slipping up at this tail end of the season. Maybe it's a mental hurdle. Yeah, it, mental hurdle. The, the one other thing that comes to mind is that West Ham does play a pretty attack, a counter-attacking style, um, and that is something that works well against the better teams. Traditionally, works is less as effective against the quote-unquote worst teams that are typically the teams that that lie back and and kind of soak up the pressure a la Newcastle, a la Brighton. Uh, so when, when you don't have that ability to catch teams on the break that West Ham have done so many times this year, I think that's where it gets a little bit more difficult. And then you could also say they were uh, right. Oh, best loan signing of the season has been Jesse Lingard without a doubt. Actually, I don't know how we, oh, yeah. missed how that one. He, yeah. mm-hmm. he, he is like Joe Willick has been great, but Jesse Lingard has been phenomenal. Um, but it's one of those things where when the when the goals and the assists dry dry up and you're you are kind of relying on a player or two, how do you pivot? Um, yeah, it's been a tough one. I, I'm again, hopefully they can, you know, maybe get something in the last two matches to to get Europa. It looks like what right now West Ham is uh, they're four points back of Liverpool in fifth, um, only one win in the last five. So. It, it looks like it's kind of done and dusted for them, but a yeah. great season it was, and hopefully a lot to build on. 17 wins on the season, same as Spurs right now. I mean, that's a successful season for West Ham. 59 points, like, great, great return, you know. Um, hopefully they can continue to build on that this offseason. All right, on to Crystal Palace versus Aston Villa. Another mid-table battle, kind of the top half of the bottom half, if you will. Um, 3-2, good game this one. Um, winner from Tyrick Mitchell who's another great kind of left wing back prospect from Palace following the footsteps of um, another great wing back that made the switch across from Crystal Palace or up from Crystal Palace, I should say, recently to Manchester United and Aaron Wan-Bissaka. So um, he scored the winner, first goal for Crystal Palace. Not a lot much else to say about this one. Villa have stuttered. They're back into the bottom half of the table now. The only talking point I would say maybe here is Roy Hodgson. Um, lots of rumors he's going to be leaving this off season when Roy Hodgson looks back at his time as crystal palace. What do you think is the legacy that he leaves behind as palace boss? This is probably not, you know, the most, the most positive or maybe not positive. It's not even the right word. Maybe not the most optimistic outlook, but I, I think like his ability to keep them in the premier league has, it's something to be, you know, to be appreciated. There were, I'd say two of the last three seasons, it it looked like Palace was going to be really, really deep in that relegation fight. And um, they pretty much, they've gotten out of that year after year. And um, this year was a little interesting because there ended up not really being a relegation fight where, you know, with three matches left, we were done with the relegation battle. But I think Roy Hodgson never being given a huge budget at Crystal Palace, um, you would ask questions and I frankly don't know Crystal Palace well enough to know how much of a role he had in transfers, but I'd say it was a fairly successful stint um, and kept on, kept hold on Zaha, you know, they, they are building something there. And I'm, I'm curious what the next manager does do because 
Hudson only has a, a certain number of years left. He's the oldest manager in the Premier League. Um, so we'll see. What, what about you? How would you look at his uh, tenure? I think, yeah, that's that's really it, right? I mean, he's um, you look at the success that he's had with some players that he's brought in. Wolf Zaha um, is, is definitely a great shout there. He's brought through Aaron Wan-Bissaka. I think what he's really been missing is just a top-class striker through all of that. Benteke's been in some decent form recently. He scored a couple, couple goals for Palace in, in recent games, but they've never had that top-quality striker. Like Newcastle that has a Callum Wilson. Um, like Leeds that has a Patrick Bamford. Like they've, they've never had that guy that can consistently score goals for them. And I don't know if it's through poor scouting or what it, what it may be but they've never seemed to really have that kind of out-and-out -out striker that can do the business for them. So as a result, they find themselves battling relegation every season, to your point, and scraping by. And they've done very well, I think, to avoid going down because there's been seasons where they certainly could have looked at that. But I don't think, controversial viewpoint here, that Roy Hodgson will look back at his time at Palace and take a lot of pride from what he was able to accomplish there. Um, I think yeah. he's had better spells in his managerial career than this one. Well, yeah, I, I think that's fair. I, I don't think pride necessarily would be what he would take from this, especially in you, you hit it right there. Like he, he's been, he's been a, the manager of England. He has been a, uh, a, a wildly successful manager for a long time. So um, for all of his appointments to, to be one that he looks back on terribly fondly, this one, I, I think stick out. I mean, I mean, I think that I think that interestingly enough, and maybe maybe we dive into this a bit more on a different episode. This would be an interesting like segment, but I think that Crystal Palace and is the most comparable team to Newcastle in the Premier League right now in terms of the style of play, in terms of the makeup of the team. You know, both teams with back lines that can be rock solid or leaky as all hell on any given day. Both teams with and this isn't just talking about this year, but in years in the last three years or so, typically running off a tricky winger, kind of relying on one or two players to, to provide the inspiration there. Uh, and then both teams that have produced players that have kind of come out of nowhere to go on to higher roles, Aaron Wan-Bissaka, the, the namesake for Crystal Palace. And with Newcastle, you have a guy like Wijnaldum who was fairly untouted coming into England and then was – arguably the best team on the liver, the best player on the Liverpool's uh, champions league winning team and premier league winning team. So uh, I don't know, this is kind of word vomit and I'm kind of just rambling here, but I, I don't know. I, I think crystal palace and Newcastle fans are probably more alike than we are different. Yep. I think that's a, that's a good, good point. You look at their gold goal differentials, Newcastle 43, four 62 against palace 44, 61 against to your point, very similar styles of play. And, and very similar returns in terms of goals for and against. All right, on to um, our next game for the weekend. Um, plenty to talk about here, but not necessarily for on-the-pitch reasons. Um, quickly recap the game here. Spurs beat Wolves 2-0. Um, 13 shots on target for Spurs in this game. Very deserved, very efficient attacking performance from them. Another goal for Harry Kane. Hoiberg was man of the match in this one, and he bagged a goal here as well. Rare that he gets on the score sheet. And then on the flip side of that, continuing a disappointing season for Wolves in 12th place right now. Um, the, the one note I made here was their reliance on Raul Jimenez continues to be noticeable there. Fabio Silva played up top on his own. He's a teenager, but he's just not the answer right now. Hopefully he's got some growing to do and some uh, some game ahead of him. But, you know, they just 
it's a write-off season for Wolves. What a massive disappointment for Nuno this year. Yeah, Wolves have scored less goals than the following teams in this Premier League season. Crystal Palace, Southampton, Newcastle United, Brighton, and let me give you one more. I guess that that's a, that's a good collection of teams that you would not have expected Wolves to have less goals than in a Premier League season. So I agree with you. I think total write-off, but it does it does ask a lot of questions on their team besides Raul Jimenez. Can they make it? Like th- this season proved that they were a little bit of a, a one-trick pony last season, and how do they fix that going forward? Because I don't think that you can – yeah, just kind of assume that Jimenez will will fix all the problems, especially coming back from an injury that kept him out over half of this season, um, and a, a head injury at that, which is always a really dangerous thing to deal with. So, yeah, definitely a, a tough one uh, to, to kind of swallow for Wolves. But if they can keep Nuno, if they can keep their main pieces, I, I do see them kind of bouncing back, hopefully top half, maybe top eight next season. Yep, hopefully so. I mean, it'd be nice to see them get return to form, but comfortably safe, um, 45 points, no no threat of relegation per se, just an underwhelming season for them. So on to Spurs. The big news coming out this afternoon, or this morning, I guess, if you're Zach and you follow Twitter as religiously as he does, <laughs> Harry Kane. Harry Kane apparently has walked into Daniel Levy's office and has said that he wants out. Rumors that they will put a 150 million British pounds price tag on the head of the striker who has been banging them in for years in the Premier League. Harry Kane has come out and said that he would like to stay within the Premier League, um, is the other comment that has come out from the Spurs camp today. So very interesting, Zach. Very, very interesting. Not a surprise per se. A lot of people had said this for a while that, you know, this was time for him to move on. He's coming into his late 20s. This is where players typically peak. He's got a lot more that he can give. Um, I read another statistic today that outside of Robert Lewandowski and Lionel Messi, from a goals and assist standpoint combined, no player has done more than Harry Kane outside of those two players. So he's clearly at the top of his game right now. Do you blame Harry Kane for wanting out? Not not in any sort of way. I, I think that Harry Kane has been... You know, coming up through the academy, leading this team to a Champions League final that a lot of people would say they had no right being in. Um, I, I'd say that Harry Kane has given everything for Tottenham Hotspur, and Tottenham Hotspur has not given nearly enough back to him. He's won zero trophies there. Not even, not even a consulate trophy like the Carabao League Cup, like trophies yeah. that don't matter. He still hasn't won any of those, and. I think that for a player who is clearly in his prime, who uh, is is clearly a world-class top two, three, four striker in the world, I, I don't see how anybody could be you know, upset with him uh, as a player for wanting what's best, best for his career and, and to win silverware. The interesting thing that I noted in that article was that he, and obviously this is all rumors right now, but that he does want to stay in the Premier League. Not terribly surprising to hear. I think Harry Kane has his eyes very firmly set on Alan Shearer's goal record. Um, and I think he wants to to win, to be the, the leading scorer in Premier League history. Um, that, yeah. That's at least what I would attribute that to. Yeah, I would agree. And the question is, is will Daniel Levy let him do that? 
Um, funny, funny tweet that came out today from Richard Keyes said that Daniel Levy won't let him go to a rival. Um, and then Richard Keyes made some smart ass comment about other Europa League qualifying teams not not having the capital to be able to purchase him. But I, I digress. I, I was thinking about it earlier on today. Let's say he stays in the Premier League. Where's the most likely landing spot for him? I think the long the long rumor has been Manchester United. For the longest time, that's been the team that have been touted as like the the landing spot if you were ever to leave and stay in the Premier League. Do you think that's still the most natural landing spot for Harry Kane when he leaves this summer? I well, so so that's the key is if he leaves this summer. I don't think it's a when quite yet. I don't think it's a definite that Harry Kane leaves this summer but i think that it doesn't it, like manchester united right now does not make the most sense they just extended cavani who's had a great year they have plenty of attacking talent in rashford martial uh, greenwood uh it, it's not the best fit for harry kane i think a team like chelsea would make a little bit more sense if they were willing to just completely give up on timo Werner after one season Manchester City, I think, is the most you know realistic, if you will, simply because they don't have that out-and-out out number nine, and they also have limitless funds that they can use. But I think the Harry Kane narrative of this summer will come down to two things. What happens in Euros, how he plays there, and number two, what happens with Erling Holland? Because Erling Holland will be leaving. It, it seems almost like a foregone conclusion he will be leaving Borussia Dortmund this season, and Manchester City is right up there among clubs that he's being most heavily linked with. You know, the history with his father playing for that club, just the the fact that he is one of the top strikers in the world. They are one of the top clubs in the world right now. But I think that is what dictates the Harry Kane sale. I don't I don't see Harry Kane leaving Tottenham before Erling Holland gets signed. It's an interesting one. Yeah, I mean that that's fair. Um and I and I think that you know he's going to be in the shop window as is Holland. Um, in these Euros upcoming, right? So it's a perfect perfect stage for him. I think it's a when, not an if, Harry Kane leaves this summer. The question is, which teams have the finances and the capital to be able to afford him? City certainly do. Could you see Harry Kane wandering over the pond and playing for uh, his old manager at PSG? Do you think that might be an interesting dynamic there? Maybe Mourinho at Roma? Ooh. Mourinho, not Roma, for sure. Not. I think him and Pochettino would love to be reunited, but I, I don't see Harry Kane going to. If Harry Kane was to leave England, I don't see him going to France. I just like call it what you will, but I, I just think that Harry Kane has slightly loftier ambitions than playing in a league that uh, is kind of at that almost tier 1B caliber compared to the other top leagues in Europe. Uh, so I think a, a more interesting question would be what if Harry Kane is brought in, maybe not this summer, but maybe next summer by Bayern Munich, uh, if they're trying to replace Lewandowski, sell him on a high. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, we, we'll, we'll see. I, I, if I had to guess right now, I don't think Harry Kane leaves Tottenham this summer. I just, I just don't see it happening. I do. I think he leaves, and uh, I'm agree with friend of the pod here, Dave. He goes to Manchester United. That's my, 
that's my landing spot. I've kind of reneged on it. I said previously that um, actually when you were off the pod, we talked about Harry Kane a little bit. I said Barcelona might be a good landing spot for him because they could build a team around him. But if he's staying in the Premier League, I think it's United. Okay. All right. Well, yep. yeah, we'll see. I mean, like you said, very few teams can afford him and Manchester United is potentially one of them. So. Yep. Onto a team that potentially he would want to play for in Liverpool. Um, what a finish to this one, Zach. West Brom, home to Liverpool, 1-1, going into injury time. Liverpool have to win to keep their top four hopes alive. They sit in fifth right now, point behind Chelsea after this victory. Who pops up in the 95th minute with a headed goal? Unopposed, Alison Becker. Pops up with a beautiful header, sails past the keeper. Where was the marking? Doesn't matter. Allison was swamped by his fellow Liverpool players and probably one of my favorite pictures in the Premier League this season. You just see the joy on Roberto Firmino's face that uh, his uh, his boy Allison, fellow Brazilian, has popped up with a goal um, from the corner. Just absolutely beautiful. Um, and something we should savor because it certainly doesn't happen that often, as, uh, as we've mentioned with our trivia question this week. Yeah, that was a sick header. That was a gorgeous, gorgeous header. Like, so much to do. He was, like, kind of going away from goal and just powered so much behind that one. Like, that was a that was a header you would attribute to the top strikers in the world. It wasn't, you know, some scrum at the top of the six-yard box. But, yeah, I mean, like, do I have any particular interest in Liverpool getting back into the Champions League? No. But seeing something like that, as you said, just the novelty of that is is always something entertaining to watch. Not much else to, to talk about from that game, but that moment was pretty phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just unlucky for West Brom, I thought. You know, nothing to play for in that game, but thought they were worthy of a point in it. But congratulations, Liverpool. The top four hunt remains, um, uh, remains possible for them, I guess. They're point behind Chelsea, as we mentioned. Final game to wrap up our Premier League matches from the weekend. Not much to talk about here except disappointing from Everton again. A home loss 1-0 to Sheffield United of all teams. Rooted to the bottom of the Premier League, Sheffield United come into Goodison Park and take all three points. The only comment I wrote in the outline this, this week for that game was lol. Lull or lull, as uh, many people would pronounce it as well. But um, that was that was a bit nitpicky. Everton just they're just dude they're just trying to lock down the Everton Cup right now and <laughs> sitting in eighth. They are they're yep. doing it well. A win a win would have taken them level on points with West Ham at seventh, and that's just not where what Everton belongs. Everton belongs firmly in eighth place. So uh, this this result couldn't have been more predictable. It was absolutely perfect for them. The only other note that I put into um, or into my notes for this game, I should say, was the fact that Sheffield United currently, with two games to play, have 19 goals this season. What's the current record for lowest number of goals scored in a Premier League season, Zach? Is it... It's less than 19, right? It's not. It's 20. No. Um, so it's Is 20. It really? It's 20 goals from the infamous Derby County Darby, team. Derby, 2007, 2008. Yep, of course. Yep, so they're currently sitting one goal behind that with two games to play. Their final two games at Newcastle and home to Burnley. So the question being, do you think Sheffield United will score in the next two games? Ooh, probably not. 
I don't think so. You think Newcastle keeps I, a clean sheet? I do, and then I think Sean Dyche would like nothing more than to solidify a different team's place as the worst attacking team in Premier League history. <laughs> that's a fair point. I like that. All right. Well, that's our roundup for the Premier League matches this weekend. Uh, we certainly aren't going under an hour, but we will try and keep it as brief as we can for the remainder of the pod. Uh, the last thing to wrap up on the English football side this weekend was a wonderful FA Cup final that Zach didn't get to watch through his pirated streams. Chelsea nil, Leicester won. Leicester winning their first ever FA Cup in their history. Gary Lineker in tears, and the goal to win it was quite sensational, was it not? Yeah, Yuri Tielemans in about what was it, the eighty third or so? It was right at, at the at the end of that match, hitting a an absolute bolt from about 30 years, 28, 30 yards out. Uh, one of those just always rising hits right into the top corner. He couldn't have hit a ball nicer than that. Um, and yeah, just a, an amazing end to the, well, not end to the season. Leicester still needs to solidify their place in the top four, although they're looking pretty good right now, um, sitting in third. But amazing win. Uh, first ever FA Cup, you said, uh, Jamie Vardy becoming the first player ever to play in every single round of the FA Cup throughout his career. There are 13 rounds of the FA Cup. A lot of people don't know this because Premier League teams come in the third round proper, which is really uh, the eighth round. But there are 13 total rounds of the FA Cup, starting <laughs> with the most amateur teams because anybody could play in the FA Cup. Yep. And Jamie Vardy has now played in every single round, only player to ever do that. Um, yeah, just an incredible, incredible day for Leicester. And uh, in all sincerity, I know that, Adam, you make fun of me quite a lot uh, about my, you know, kind of false love, uh, my false fandom, if you will, for Leicester. But I just, you look at that team, and that's everything that you could want as a football fan, I think, Leicester yeah. City. Like, a team that builds on foundation. They build from the bottom up. It's sustainable. Uh, players are, are playing for the owner. The owner is, is shelling out cash um, both wisely, but also a plenty to get the players needed to stay in the, the, uh, you know, the top of the table. And I saw this tweet right after the FA cup when I forget who it was from, but it said that Leicester city is the reason that the quote unquote big six wanted to leave to go to the super league because they are the pest that won't go away. And they are the only thing that creates that kind of knife in the, uh, the body of what is traditionally a, a pretty um, solidified top of the table. So I just, man, I, I could not, I couldn't say any more good things about Lester and I couldn't wish any more that I genuinely was a Lester supporter at times. Maybe uh, Jamie Vardy rides off into the sunset this summer and Harry Kane comes in as the new number nine for Leicester. He's played for Leicester before on loan from Tottenham. He has worn he has that. worn that jersey. So that would be that would be amazing. There's no way Leicester can afford him, but that would be that would be pretty amazing. <laughs> Maybe they front load the uh, the money for the Champions League qualification and try and throw it into there. Harry Kane's already on two hundred thousand a week British pounds at Tottenham. He's not going to go anywhere for less than that. So I don't think Leicester could afford it, but it'd be a great story if it did. It would be. I, yeah. I would pick them as title contenders for next year if they got Harry Kane. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, they've won it before. Why not again, right? I mean, you take a world-class striker like that and have a little bit more um, new about you and defensive um, solidity in that team. I think, why, why not? 
I love it. Yeah. Um, one, the one thing to note, though, about uh, this game, Leicester obviously beating Chelsea. I don't even know if we mentioned that they, they played Chelsea in that match. But uh, for the race for the top four, Leicester and Chelsea play again. Uh, what for us is tomorrow night, for most listeners, will be Tuesday afternoon. Um, massive match right now. So Leicester currently sitting in third on 66 points. Uh, Chelsea sitting in fourth on 64. So a win for Chelsea would vault them into third. Um, but I think almost more importantly here is that Leicester, Chelsea, Liverpool, and Tottenham all within one goal differential of one another. Leicester and Liverpool both on 20 plus 21, Chelsea and Tottenham both on plus 22. So um, a ton of uh, implications that this match has uh, coming up on Tuesday evening. Yep, absolutely. It's going to be a really great fun one to watch, and I'm sure Chelsea will be wanting a little bit of revenge in, in that one. Again, you mentioned if they if they win that game, then they're going to vault Leicester into third place, and um, I would say all but wrap up. I think that, that would actually yeah, would clinch them a Champions League place, assuming, of course, that they don't win the Champions League, which we'll get to here shortly. Uh, but great game. Looking forward to it. Um, two fantastic attacking teams. Um, and we'll, we'll look forward with great eagerness as to the result of that one tomorrow. All right. So um, before we go to commercial break here, I want to, again, I'm, I'm going to test you here, Zach, and see if my, my first clue is going to solidify the answer that you think this is. Again, our question, listeners, is Allison scored an injury time winner from open play this weekend to become only the second goalkeeper to do so since the Premier League began? Who was the first? And your first clue, this player has over 100 caps for his international team and over 300 Premier League appearances to his name. I, I still know who it is. I, I, knew, I knew who it was. I knew who it was before, and I know who it is now. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, listeners, we'll give you one more clue before the end of the pod, and we will see if Zach is correct. Uh, but we'll be right back after a break from the sponsors. All right, everyone, we are back with the latter half of the False Nines. This is episode 68, as we mentioned before. Um, jumping into international football here before we go into the, the usual suspects to close out the pod. Uh, Champions League and Europa League finals are set. It's Manchester City against Chelsea in the Champions League and Manchester United, Villarreal, the, the matchup everybody expected to see at the beginning of the season in the Europa League final. So it's always, I think I kind of mentioned this last time, Adam, one of my favorite things at the end of the season is just all of the subplots that you see for every matchup. It doesn't matter what the matchup is. There are a million subplots that are put in the papers. Let's start with Champions League, City, Chelsea. Uh, start me out here. What, what, are, what are some of the best subplots that you'd pick out? Well, um, Thomas Tuchel, first coach ever to reach back-to-back -back Champions League finals with different subplot. teams. Nice little subplot there. Um, Guardiola, obviously, the only trophy that he has not won for Manchester um, for Manchester City is the Champions League, pretty much. It's won pretty much everything subplot. else. I like it. Let's keep doing that. Um, Chelsea <laughs> have won the last two games against Manchester City and are firmly in the heads of their um I guess of their superiors, I guess, if you will, when you look at the uh, league table. Mental subplot. Mental subplot. I like that. Um, and I think that's about it. Do we, do we have any other subplots there? Are there any players that have crossed the, uh, the lines between Chelsea and Manchester City that you want to highlight? Kevin De Bruyne going up against the club that gave up on him years, years ago. 
that's the only other subplot that I can come up with right now. Perfect. All right. Well, it's going to be a great one to watch. Um, interesting on this one. Um, talked to a few friends about this, and they are not planning to watch this because it is an all-English affair in the final, and they feel as though when you have all-English teams playing each other in the Champions League final, it loses its luster a little bit. Have, you'd prefer to have some teams represented from different leagues and different countries in the final. I personally don't feel that way. I have a lot of pride having grown up in the UK, and I do think that these are two of the best teams in the world and two of the best coaches in the world right now. Um, so I, I wonder if you, you share that opinion or if you feel differently. I don't give a shit that it's two English clubs. Like, why? Why is that a reason not to watch? That's a, that's a weird hill to die on in my mind. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's. I mean, yes, like it, it would be more exciting if we saw a matchup that we hadn't already seen twice in, or excuse me, three times in twice in the Premier League, once in the FA Cup. But um, I mean, it's still the the Champions League final. It's it's still an exciting match. It's still the you know the kind of uh, the pinnacle of European fo club football. So mm -hmm. would, would it have been nice to see, you know, the, the dream final of City PSG or City Barcelona that we were all kind of hoping on come, you know, at the, the beginning of the knockout stages? Yeah, but it's still an interesting match. And I, I think what what I'm really interested in that you just touched on is the coaching styles in this match. I think that uh, Tuchel has done the absolute the he he has shot the moon with chelsea uh, since being appointed i don't think anybody could have really expected that he would be as successful as he's been with them so i i'm very very curious to see how both of these teams line up because as you mentioned chelsea does seem to have a little bit of edge on city but two teams that play pretty similar style football and um both teams you know rely on a lot of wing play uh, a lot of balls going through the middle of midfield Mm -hmm. I'm really curious to see how this one plays out. I don't expect a lot of goals. That's that's one thing I was going to mention. I don't expect as many goals as you might want. I don't think it will be a goal fest either. Let me before we get to predictions here. I'm going to ask you one more question here. Do you think the winner of this fixture will subsequently be announced as the manager of the season in the Premier League? Do you think that Tuchel, with his run that he's had since he's come in, to England and taken over from Frank Lampard. I mean, he's been phenomenal, right? He's he's won pretty much every game. He's, he's done an amazing job. He's won at Manchester City. Do we think that this will be the decision maker in terms of who wins that accolade as manager? That's a great question. I think it will be. I don't think it should be. I, like, I don't think that the Champions League should have anything to do with who wins uh, at the FA, well, what is it? Technically, the EPL manager of the season or the FA manager of the season. Um, I, I don't think that should play a part because, for obvious reasons, it's not part of the Premier League season. But I think that Tuchel has done amazing things with this Chelsea team. They've only lost two matches. The one against West Brom was hilarious for a number of reasons, but he has made them into such a much better team than they were under Frank Lampard. Sorry to Frank Lampard, but that. That really is the truth. Uh, and I think with Pep going out on top, if he does leave, 
Um, this is the the final achievement, as you said. Now, I think the only other person who would have a case for manager of the season is Brendan Rodgers, and I think that he should be far more in the conversation than he is, especially if Leicester makes the Champions League, or, yeah, finishes in Champions League qualification. They've won their first FA Cup, but I, I think it will ultimately come down to the winner of this match. Yep, I, I agree with you there. I think it's going to be Guardiola versus Tuchel in the Champions League final and for manager of the season. Okay, I'll let you go first. Prediction here, you said you don't think there's going to be a lot of goals in it, but who do you see coming out as victorious here? I think it's City. I, I think that Guardiola Guardiola knows the magnitude of this day, and that's not to say that, that Tuchel doesn't, but this is everything for him. And uh, you have City, a team that was able to rest nearly half of their uh, starting lineup against Newcastle, largely because the, the title's been wrapped up and they were still able to get a victory um, start, starting a keeper who hasn't played a game in 10 years. We should have touched on that one. That was an exciting thing to see. But um, yeah, I think it'll be a nail-biter, and I, I think that City comes out uh, one goal margin, either 1-0 or 2-1 Manchester City. Yep, I think that's a that's a good good shout. I'm going for 2-0 Manchester City, and I think that Phil Foden gets on the score sheet in the final. Yeah, England's England's white knight is Phil Foden, so we'll we'll see. Yep. All right, on to the Europa League final, um, the second tier, if you will. We've got Manchester United versus Villarreal. We've got Ole versus Emery, and Mr. Emery has a point to prove. He did so in the semifinal by knocking out his old team, Arsenal. Would have, I'm sure, loved to have gotten and did love getting one over on um, the old Arsenal team there. He got a fair amount of flack while he was in that role, so I'm sure that felt good for him. And then Ollie at the wheel, um, another person who's been uh, a little bit under or a little bit criticized, I said, and potentially underperforming this season. Can he win his first trophy as Manchester United boss? There's a lot on the line here. Great subplots, as you mentioned. Um, and, then the, subplots. and then the final thing I wanted to mention here was Edson Cavani. Great form right now. He signed on officially for another year for Manchester United. Um, could potentially be a difference maker in this one. He's playing phenomenally well right now. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. I mean, admittedly, don't know as much about Villarreal as I, I wish I did. Um, you know, not one of the big, biggest name clubs in La Liga, but a team that's been wildly successful in both their domestic league and in Europe this season. Uh, it will be a, a really interesting one. Two two managers that, as you said, have a lot to prove uh, for their respective managerial careers. I think that. Uh, Unai Emery, even going back to his days at PSG, it kind of ended on a bit of an, a weird note there. It seemed as though um, his time had been run uh, in Paris and going to Arsenal, that was an absolute disaster. So I, I would love to see Villarreal take home this one. I, I'm not really, I don't have any sort of attachment to the English club in this match. Um, but yeah, excited to see really what they put out there and, um, I, I could see this one being a high-scoring match that the Champions League final is not. Yep, I, I agree. I think there's going to be more goals in this one. Um, and for me, if we're going to predictions, I think that we have we see both major European trophies come home to Manchester. I think Manchester United wins this one 3-1. Zach, Ole at the wheel! There it is. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with that. They looked so good in the semifinal Manchester United that it's tough to bet against them right now. So uh, we'll we'll see what happens. Bruno Fernandez on the score sheet, perhaps, or at least getting an assist in that match. He is the, the talisman for, for United. 
Yeah, exactly. And they, they concede plenty of goals. 42 goals conceded by Manchester United this season is the same amount of goals conceded by Brighton this season. Um, and they've got no Harry Maguire, most likely, in this game. Try and get a rush him back for, for that one, but he's mostly concerned about making the Euros at this point. So we'll see. Yeah, it will be an interesting match. Uh, all right. Um, EPL stats before we jump into the, the cornerstones here. Harry Kane, as Adam mentioned, still leading in the Premier League goals, but now drawn by Mohamed Salah. So 22 apiece for those two. Bruno Fernandez sitting right behind at 18. You'd be shocked to see him uh, overtake that four goal margin in the remaining two matches of the season. And then in assists, Harry Kane again in the lead. He is in sole possession here. Bruno Fernandez sitting in second, tied with Kevin De Bruyne on 11 assists. So two back of Kane's 13. But uh, yeah, it's it's been the story for the entire season. Harry Kane has pretty much since the poll been uh, at the lead of both of those two categories and looking like he will be wrapping up what has to be considered one of the best offensive seasons in Premier League history. Yep, 35 goals and assists combined this season. It's just a phenomenal tally for a striker at the top of his game right now. Not much else to say on that, to be honest. Um, interesting to see if we get Jack Grealish back in time. He's on 10 assists for the season and joint fourth with Youngman Son um, to see if he can be back fit for the Euros. I'm sure if he's anywhere near fit that they will take him to the Euros, but been disappointing to see him out of the game here for, for some months now. Absolutely. Um, that, the one thing I should have uh, mentioned earlier that I missed, uh, Wolves at 35 goals. I listed all the teams that they have less goals than they're on. Wolves, 35 goals is the same as the 35 goals that Harry Kane has either scored or assisted this year. So Harry Ooh. Kane is right next to Wolves in the, the goal tally. Yikes. That's a, that's a scary tally. Scary tally. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I pulled that out of my ass right at the last thing. <laughs> I like I like that. It was good good off on the off the cuff on the fly there. So okay. Um all right, on to um a staple of the false nines. Well, we don't do it every time, but we when we've got something to say, Zach. We we definitely do do it. Armchair pundits. Um this is where we give an opinion that might be considered as controversial um and try and defend our opinion. I'm gonna go first because I already told you what mine was. Rian Brewster, who currently has zero goals and zero assists in 25 appearances for Sheffield United this season, will break his duck against Newcastle on Wednesday. And in doing so, tie Derby for the lowest amount of goals in a season. Nice. And my, <laughs> my reasoning for this is, why not? We never keep a clean sheet. It's just going to happen, Zach. I'm just throwing it out there right now. Beautiful. Yeah, there's no need to debate it because it has to come true at this point. <laughs> come on, Rian Brewster. You're banging him in in the that goes, oh my, That is embarrassing. That is pathetic. <laughs> Linton, worse than Joe Linton. Oof. Wait, well, worse than Hey, Joe Linton's on the up, man. Buy stock at Joe Linton before it gets too hot. <laughs> I don't know about that, but okay. <laughs> um, armchair pundits, I'm, I'm really reeling back for this one. Harry Kane stays, Daniel Levy doesn't. Harry Kane walks into the office and says, mate, it's you or me, pushes Daniel Levy out of that club, gets his greedy paws off of Tottenham Hotspur. Harry plants his staff down to the ground and says, this is my club. I am Tottenham Hotspur, and everything changes. He now becomes the uh, the unofficial player manager of that team calls all the shots 
they spend the money, they get a new club president or whatever it is that Daniel chairman, whatever it is that Daniel Levy technically is. Um, and that is what happens with Tottenham Hotspur. And who comes in and takes over ownership of Spurs and managership of Spurs? That's a great question. Let's say all the people that wanted to buy Newcastle United last summer. Okay. And then the manager would be if they've got a blank checkbook to play with. Ryan Mason, <laughs> permanent deal. <laughs> oh dear. That's there it good. is. That's not good. Okay. No, D- Daniel Daniel Eck comes in and instead of buying Arsenal buys uh buys Tottenham. There it is. Wow. Okay. There, there's there's some crazy wild armchair pundits this week, but I like it. Yeah, I forgot that Daniel Levy was the owner too for a second. And I was like, yeah, oh shit. <laughs> Unlikely that that happens, but we will. You know, we'll see. I think I think my my call for Rian Brewster is probably a little bit more likely to happen. The sword. I, I, yeah, it, it's an incremental difference, but I think you're right. Um, all right, all right, ten to ninety. Here we go. Ten questions, ninety seconds. Never, ever, ever have hit that mark. Never will. Better chance going under an hour than ever doing that. Absolutely. Um, Adam, do you want to go first or second? Uh, I don't mind. I'll let you choose this one. I, I went first last time. so Why don't you go first again? Those ones last week were, were fun. What, wait, what was the theme again last week or last episode? Oh, I did um, Ivan Tony last time. <laughs> that's, that's right. You did do <laughs> Ivan Tony related trivia. <laughs> okay, cool. What, what, do you ha- what do you have this week? I'm going to go back to hypotheticals for you because I know you enjoy those. I do like hypotheticals. Okay, here we go. Question number one. Will Big Sam stay on as West Bromwich Albion manager in the championship next season? And if not, where is his next landing spot? No, Big Sam is not the man to get your club back into the Premier League. That wouldn't be a smart move. Uh, the man that wouldn't get you relegated, but would look well, the Well, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, who or where does he go next? I... Ask me in, ask me next February when there's a club that's reeling and hasn't won eight in a row. Cause that's exactly where he goes. <laughs> Watford. Watford will be that club. Watford. Are they coming back up? Yeah, they came they came up in second. So they Watford love to fire their managers. So I think that's a good call. That is true. What was it? Four in the season last year. That was amazing. Yeah. Um yeah. Oh, go to Watford. I like that. That's a that's a good choice. Cool. Um, okay. So this, this is kind of a two-parter for this one. Will Everton win a trophy or qualify for Europe in the next three seasons? And then the second part to that question is, what's more likely, winning a trophy or qualifying for Europe? Um, I like that. Yes, in winning a trophy. They'll, they'll win the League Cup for sure. And, the is, and, then they'll, and, and then they'll finish an eighth without a doubt. Like that makes perfect sense. They win the trophy that nobody cares about and they finish an eighth. Gotcha. Okay, that's fair. Question number three, which team from Brentford, Bournemouth, Swansea, and Barnsley, so the current playoff teams in the championship, will join Norwich and Watford in the Premier League next season? I don't know if you know the results from today. I can give you down. It's from today. Um, Bournemouth won 1-0 at home against Brentford in the first leg of their tie. No away goals in the playoffs. And then Barnsley lost 1-0 at home to Swansea in their first leg of their playoff game and the man of the match of course was freddie woodman in that game so brentford bournemouth swansea barnsley who is going up as playoff winners alongside norwich and watford 
I was going to say Swansea regardless, uh, just because Freddie Woodman is the, the only uh, attachment or uh, the attachment that I have to those four clubs. Although even Tony is on Barnsley, isn't he? Ivan Tony is on Brentford. Brentford. And yeah. they're in it. You said you just said Brentford, right? I did. Brentford, born okay, cool. Swansea, Barnsley. Oh, uh, yeah. Let's do Swansea. Let's uh, let's do Swansea because Newcastle needs to sell Freddie Woodman to somebody next year. So get his stock as high as possible. Yeah, top top class keeper. Okay, so Swansea going up alongside Norwich and Watford. You know, I like that as a Welshman. Will Alan Saint Maximin be at Newcastle come the beginning of next season? Ooh, no, no, probably not. I, in a way, Sam Maxman is kind of the other side of the coin to Joe Willick. Do I think Newcastle has the the funds to buy Joe Willick, or at least like, do I think Newcastle better yet has the funds to get in a bidding war for Joe Willick? No. Do I think Newcastle has the financial stability uh, and you know kind of backing to not take a really high price for Alan St. Maximin? No. So I don't think St. Maximin plays for Newcastle next season. No. I, no. That would be really sad if that happened. I would too. I just like, I know he loves Newcastle and Newcastle most certainly loves him, yep. but I mean, he's what, 24, 25? Like, if you were another team and you wanted to take a big gamble on a player, like not even a gamble, but if you wanted to splash cash on an exciting player, he is everything you could want right now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's he's top class. And obviously, Pep had a lot of good words to say about him in that game. And I don't think it was even one of his best games um, against Manchester City. So top class player. All right, final question before we get into our Welsh word for the week. Who will score the most goals in the Premier League next season of these three players? Callum Wilson, Timo Werner, or Bruno Fernandes? Ooh. Uh, Fernandes, I think, is a pretty safe guess there. I mean, Callum Wilson, I don't think he can play a full 38 matches. That's my concern with him. Or I Like, within 36. What? How many... Can you quickly look up how many matches Callum Wilson has played this season? Because... Like that's that's a concern with him is he's obviously you know a talented finisher, but staying healthy is the biggest thing. So I'd say Fernandez is is probably the safest bet there. Um, yeah, I'll let's stick see. with that one. Let's see, Callum Wilson this season for Newcastle. Uh, let's see, twenty six Premier League appearances. So he missed twelve games. Yeah, miss? so. That's a fairly sizable number of games. And how many how many goals in 26? Is it 12? 12 goals, yeah. Mm-hmm. He will finish. Yeah. So ju- okay. So so he so Bruno Fernandez has a goal every other game. Callum Wilson has a goal just under that. Um, but yeah, I think health is the biggest thing there. Yep, I agree. Okay. So final question for you then, as always, our Welsh word of the week. Pronounce this Welsh word, please, Zachary. Uh, no vowels for you. Try and keep it that theme as well. L L W Y D. Why is a vowel though? Like, is why, why not considered a vowel in Welsh? It is used as a vowel a lot in Welsh, but it's technically not a vowel though. So why L L W Y D? Yeah. Huge. Getting closer. 
Floyd. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Does that mean Lloyd? It does not mean Lloyd. Any idea what it might mean? Um. I've been going with the theme. Nah. If, you're pay- if you're paying attention, you might. Oh, I... <laughs> no, I... not my... not at that level. This is my third color in a row. It's the color gray. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Is is Lewin? Is that a Welsh name? Like how, how are you spelling that? Like you know that movie Inside Lewin Davis? I do not know that. No. Movie. No. This is dated. Okay. I don't know how it's spelled. Okay. So well, it must be. It's a good Welsh name. It might be the American version of that. Um, could be. Could be. Okay. All right. Um, well, sorry you failed that one, my friend. But you did pretty good in general on your hypotheticals. I thought you were very convincing in terms of your arguments there. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, if nothing, I'm somebody who can convince you of, of hypothetical things. Uh, all okay. right. Um, 10 and 90. Here we go. Hypotheticals, as always. Stats are overrated. Um, Adam, who, if every single player was on the, was what, if every single player was transferred this summer? Every player in the world was sold to a different club. Okay. Who do you think the most expensive transfer in the world would be right now? Hmm. Probably Holland. Okay. Yep. That's right. Okay. Just because I feel like he was pretty expensive when Borussia Dortmund signed him, um, and I think he's going to continue to be expensive as he as he moves around. He's he's the he's the biggest prospect in world football right now. When you think about like successors to the Messi and Ronaldo throne, Holland's the top of the list for me. Okay, now let me change this up a little bit. If every single player was sold this summer, who do you think the most expensive in the transfer in the world should be right now? Do you think it should be Erling Holland, or do you think that he would command the highest price, but a different player would be more valuable? No, I think it's the same answer. I, I can't think of anybody okay. else. Yeah, I think I think of kind of prospects that we have right now. Phil Foden, I think, is is going to be up there in terms of like the quality of player that he is, but I don't think he's at that level yet. Yeah, I would say Mbappe would be the only other one that would come to mind for me right now. Yeah, well, that's a great. I just completely forgot about Mbappe. But no, I, I still I still think that Holland would go before Mbappe. Um, I just I just think there's a little bit more upside there. Yeah. I mean, the, the lad is a machine. Like, you watch five minutes of Erling Holland and you understand why people are touting him as the next great thing. So um, yep. I agree with you on all accounts. Okay, uh, question number three. Where do you think Erling Holland will play next season? Uh, I've already answered this one. Manchester City. Oh, you do? Okay, you did say Manchester City. That's right. I made that as my armchair pundit um, just because of the Manchester City link with his father. Um, I think that's a natural landing spot for him. I've said landing spot a lot, was, pod, but that's fine. That's a good one. That's a good phrase. Was his father good for Manchester City? Was he anything special? He's an average player. And he wasn't a center forward either. He was a center half. Um, kind of like a defensive oh, interesting. center half, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, because I'd heard that number of times of that connection, but I was like, I've never, I've never heard of this this guy before um yep okay okay um how many goals will messi and sergio aguero combine for next season (laughs) Uh, oh god uh it's spain so there's a bunch of crap teams in that league let's go for 50 50 okay that was there was there was no like rationale behind what i think will or will not happen i was just curious um, how close your off-the-cuff guess will be because it does sound like the Sergio Guardo Barcelona is um, almost done at this point. So 
um, which I'm kind of excited to see because they are players who have known each other their whole lives and have always wanted to play together, apparently. Yeah, great, great rapport, and um, and obviously they've got great understanding between them given all the international games. You know, if, if they do what they do for Argentina, then you know that we're going to basically have some cup finals where they underperform consistently and they don't quite get across. I was, the wait, I was waiting for that. <laughs> I was waiting for some sort of like slight on Argentina, um, but that was a good one. Uh, okay, question, what am I on now? Five? Yeah, question number five will be. Um, Will Steve Bruce be the manager for Newcastle next year? And what do you think is the ceiling, if so, for Newcastle United? Yes, he'll be the manager next year, uh, because why not? And I think the ceiling is top half. I think that's the the aim it's got to be. Do I think that we'll finish top half? No, I do not. Do I think we'll get embroiled in another relegation battle? Yes, I absolutely do. Okay. Um, and bonus question, question number six, because this just came to mind. Um who uh, do you think any of Newcastle's starting 11, if everyone's healthy, current starting 11, do you think anybody will be sold by Newcastle this summer? And if so, who? All the outgoing transfers? Are we are we counting like all the people that are out of contract at the end of the season? Or are you talking about actual mm -hmm. sales? Yeah, I'd be talking about actual sales because I think Dummett is the only one who is constantly playing in the starting eleven who's out of contract, and even him isn't. He isn't even a start like a a regular regular starter if everybody's healthy. Mm -hmm. uh, I could see Miggy going this off season. I think that you know he's he's kind of run his course there, um, and they're not playing him in position right now. Um, I could see Ryan Fraser leaving because that guy's a mercenary, and if somebody offered to pay him a pound more a week, then he'd probably be on his way. Um, no, I'm going to say Alan St. Maximin stays, at least for another season. Okay. So I'm going to go with Mickey as my most likely there as the, the outgoing transfers. I think that's a good shot. I think that you're right. They're playing him out of position. He has hinted that he would be willing to leave. M Mickey going to, again, don't know a lot about La Liga, but I could see his style of play working really well in La Liga for, for what I do know. Um, just a lot, yeah, like quick, instinctual football and Obviously, you know, the connection with the language is, is good, although I don't think he's had any sort of language issues since coming over to Newcastle, especially having played in America before that. But, yeah, it would be interesting to see what happens with him. I feel like we haven't heard anything about Miggy in recent weeks. Like, his name is barely talked about at this point. Yeah, he's doing more on the defensive side than he seems to be doing on the attacking side recently. So um, always good for a, a quick break and quick counterattack, but just in terms of being an offensive threat and, you know, potentially getting any goals or assists. And you're right. He, he's, he's really not looked like doing that for, for some time now. There you go. All right. Good. Good hypotheticals today. Um, uh, wonderful. Well, Adam, last, last, uh, it's, it's time for the last clue to the trivia answer that I've known for the last hour. But again, for any listeners who, who don't have that deep, rich knowledge of the Premier League that I possess, why don't you give them another clue? They might, Oh, what a jerk. Okay, here we go. Allison scored an injury time winner from open play this weekend to become only the second goalkeeper to do so since the Premier League began. Who was the first? The first clue I gave you midway through the pod was this player has over 100 caps for his international team and over 300 Premier League appearances to his name. Your second clue is the goal was scored for Aston Villa, a half volley from a corner in a 3-2 loss to Everton in 2002. Zachary, you may guess. 
I don't I think you messed this up. I think there are two goalies. Who is it? I, are you thinking of Brad Guzon? No. Because Tim Howard has scored a goal from open play in the Premier League. No. No, I, I read Yes, he has. No, you no, Tim Howard has scored. He wait, wait a minute. Tim Howard has absolutely scored a goal from open play. Was it in a cup? Oh no, is all my cockiness coming back to, to bite me? <laughs> Let's see here. Let's see. Tim Howard goal. I may I may Let's well see. have referenced an incorrect article. So that's No, not- no, Tim Howard, Tim, Tim Howard has scored a goal in the Premier League. He scored a goal against Bolton in 2012. Get out of here, really? Tim oh. Howard. Oh, okay, gotcha. It's the it's the it's the one from like the his own penalty box, right, where he kicked it out. Yeah, it went 100 yards because it, it was like 15-mile-an-hour winds, and it bounced once at like 30 yards out and flew over the head of the Bolton keeper. All right, well, I'm going to do a quick little audible here and say Allison scored an injury time winner from open play this weekend from a corner to become only the second goalkeeper. Oh, you <laughs> son of a bitch. My statistic was wrong. God damn that article that I read earlier on today. Because I was gonna say I I knew that was the right answer, and you said a volley from a corner. And I was like, absolutely not. <laughs> you, you can get credit for the right answer on that one, but the person I'm looking for is a little bit earlier than that. 2002. It's really towards the twilight of his career that he scored this. He's not known as being the Villa goalkeeper. He was more famous as being Manchester United's goalkeeper. So did Peter Schmeichel end his career with uh, Villa? He uh, actually ended his uh, career in the Premier League with Manchester City. But yes, he also played played for Villa, and it was Peter Schmeichel. Um, It was a half volley from a corner, too. It was no no getting your head on it. It was pretty pretty awesome if you ever get a chance to look it up. Peter Schmeichel is the correct answer. Actually, Peter Schmeichel scored 10 goals as a goalkeeper in his professional career, including a goal for Denmark. That's... Pretty cool. We're, I I would assume the rest of them were probably pens. No, no. That's wow. That's amazing. A penalty taker. Yeah, he he went up late in games. There many of those games were ones that they still lost. They were like two goals down, so they just threw caution to the wind and threw him up at the corner. But they. Uh, that's pretty uh, cool. Unfortunately, he did not. Um, he did not in that game contribute to a win for his Aston Villa side. They did lose three two to Everton in two thousand two. Understood. Well, the record shows that I get a point on that one. Uh, but that was that was that was a good question. I was, oh man, I was like, how could you do this to me? How could you pull this crap? We'll give you we'll give you that one definitely. Uh, it's it's a, it's a technical, that. technicality. So, all right, before we go, three games we're looking forward to this weekend. Zach is the final weekend of the Premier season. Super Sunday. Not a huge amount to play for this weekend. Certainly the bottom half of the table in terms of who's going down has already been locked up. But what are the games that you're earmarking as ones to watch out for this weekend? It's gotta be gotta be Newcastle or Newcastle Sheffield United is tomorrow, correct? That that game is not on the weekend. Fulham Newcastle. Um, Newcastle Fulham is the last game. Not looking for <laughs> no particular reason to look forward to that. Uh games on the weekend that I'm looking forward to uh i'd say chelsea again chelsea lester is tomorrow as well i was going to say that one will be great uh chelsea can't solidify a champions league place tomorrow i was thinking about that because if liverpool win then it's chelsea 67 
Leicester 66, Liverpool 66. So Liverpool or Chelsea could still technically drop out of that. That's a good point. Yeah. And then obviously if Chelsea Chelsea finish fifth and Chelsea subsequently win the Champions, Champions League. League, then we do get five teams in the Champions League, I believe. That's the only scenario where that could happen. Um, if Chelsea win it and they finish in the top four, then Liverpool do not, assuming Liverpool finish fifth, do not make the Champions League. Wait, if if Manchester City wins the Champions League, Chelsea finishes fifth, would they get Champions League? Nope, still only the top four. The only scenario oh. in which five teams would make it is if the winners of the Champions League do not qualify for the Champions League by nature of their league positions and their domestic. Oh, okay, okay. Um, all right, well, in that case, I... Ah, oh, man, this has been thrown for a loop. I, I think the Leicester, Chelsea, Liverpool, I don't even know who they play on the weekend, but those will all be the most entertaining because those are the only three teams who have anything to do. <laughs> those are the three games that I picked out. So Leicester, home to Spurs, two great counterattacking teams, obviously could be the last game for Spurs for Mr. Harold Kane. Villa versus Chelsea. Chelsea obviously pushing for that top four finish, as we mentioned, and then Liverpool versus Palace. So that'll be a really interesting one as well. So I'm, I'm excited for that one. I can see Liverpool certainly winning that. But can Chelsea do the biz at Aston Villa? All good questions. Should be an entertaining weekend to close up this Premier League season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in our next pod, we are going to be chatting a little bit about our um, end-of-season awards. And then we'll also mm -hmm. be previewing the Euros which are starting on June the 11th. So um, lots that we want to cram into that next pod. We'll be thinking through some fun awards that we'll be um, doing again this season. Um, definitely lots lots to talk about. I think some, uh, some shocks this season. Absolutely. I was going to say, uh, I will put um, uh, my Twitter handle in our bio. Uh, so wherever you listen to your podcast, you'll, you'll see that there. If you have any uh, end of season awards that you want us to, to go over, please send them to me, um, whether they are, you know, very middle of the road or as obscure as possible. It would be fun to get some fan participation or rather listener participation on what awards we go over. So again, Twitter handle will be in the bio. Toss us any end of season awards you want us to go over. Should be a good time. Sounds good. We're looking forward to it, man. Until next time. Footy. Peace.